some of you do not like me at all. In fact, here is a string of tweets from one enraged listener. Has anyone listened to Matt Kelly's podcast this week? Am I out of line to say that he's a gigantic asshole? Who goes after Matt Waldman? Fuck that. I mean, why do you target a guy who's been doing this for 10 plus years? Talks to tons of scouts and does his homework. If Matt Kelly wasn't so fucking crazy on his podcast, he'd be a nobody just like me. He'd be out here giving shitty fantasy advice to his 700 followers, but because he has this crazy wild man style, in all caps, ooh, I'm waving my hands back and forth to do my crazy wild man style, he just gains and gains and gains credibility. Fuck Matt Kelly. The rant is over. Yes, thank you for telling us the rant is over. Just like it's lame to say, I'm about to go on a rant before actually going on a rant, it's also lame to say, this rant is over now, guys. Go on with your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you for listening to my rant. Assuming you haven't unfollowed me or muted me yet. Do you know what my first thought was after reading this? It's too good to be true. That rant was almost too perfect, too precise in its emotional buffoonish vitriol. When I read it, I was worried that people would think that I hacked this knuckle draggers account because again, it was just too perfect. It was exactly what I would have written if I could have commandeered someone's account to criticize me. It's like exactly what I wanted someone to say and he's the guy that said the thing. It was just too perfect. I'm sitting back thinking, doesn't he know that he's promoting my show? Like, he genuinely thinks that he's having a negative impact on me and my show when he's actually having a positive impact. It's, it was so beautiful. I couldn't believe that he didn't realize this because it's 2016. Social media has been around for a decade. Has he not figured out that that's how this works? He's promoting me? I mean, what? what? That kind of tweet string drives listenership. And then what happens? They give me more shows. Yes. More fantasy platforms ask me to do their football podcast. Not less. Not less. More. The very next week after this criticism comes out, I get another show. <laughs> That's right, I just signed on with Rotoballer to be their host of their football podcast. It is a broadcast with Nathan Powell. Go ahead and follow him at NPowellFF. And it is available on the Roto Underworld stereo feed, not the Roto Underworld underground feed. Now that's important. I highly recommend switching over from underground to stereo on both iTunes and Stitcher. If you have not done so, do it now. You are missing out. Now, as I've said repeatedly, I've said it over and over and over again. This particular show is meant to be polarizing. How does everyone not get that by now? I mean, it's just, I don't get it. I don't get how you don't get it. I don't get how you don't get it.
Some of you tune in because you like me. Others tune in because you don't like me. But either way, you want to hear what I have to say because it's unfiltered, because it's honest. I seem to be the only fantasy football person who is willing to sit down in front of a microphone and genuinely not care what other fantasy football or members of this audience think, because I do not care what you think about me. I don't care if you listen to the show. If you don't like the show, go listen to another show. You have only 776 other fantasy football shows that you can shuffle off to. Now, be gone if you don't like it. That's how I do this show. I do it unafraid. Because how can you do anything in life if you do it fearfully? You can't. You have to do it fearlessly, and that's what I do. I'm simply sitting here telling you what others are only saying off air. I am saying it on air. There's value in that. You know that I am here to tell you what's on my mind. To be emotionally honest, if I'm feeling something, it will come out. I will not conceal it. I will not camouflage it. And I'm not the only one who holds these sentiments. The things I say on this show are not unique. I'm not the only one with these opinions. I'm just the only one willing to speak them publicly. Like, you know I'm not the only person who questions the validity and utility of amateur film grinding, right? Like, you all know that, right? There are hundreds of people with my sensibilities. They're just not saying it on their podcasts. But then I hear, well, Matt Kelly is taking the easy path by going after others. Yes, I heard that one. Well, if it's so easy, why isn't everyone doing it if they're thinking it and they're saying it offline? If they're saying it to me via text, if they're saying it to me on the telephone, but they're not saying it on their podcast. If it's so easy, why aren't they doing it? What I'm doing is the easy way. Fuck Matt Kelly. That's the easy path. I don't think so. I just don't think that's easy. I think it's a way. I'm doing it a way. It's a way that others don't choose. But to call it easy, come on. I don't think it's easy. Because again, if it were easy, we would see a lot of shows that have similar analysis to this one. And yet, we don't. Also, I'm not going after, quote unquote, anyone. I'm not. You're not hearing me properly if you think I'm going after people. I'm not going after anyone. You will not hear personal attacks on this show. I criticize the critic. If I hear analysis I don't agree with, we talk about it on the show. That's how the show works. That's the premise of the show. And it's a premise that a lot of people like listening to, as you can see by the listenership, growing and growing and growing and growing. More platforms approaching me to do their podcast. Why is that? I wonder why. Because <laughs> you did the easiest, lowest common denominator thing on your podcast. No! And I'm not actually going after anyone. I am telling you that I question the return on investment of film grinding, for example. That's what it all boils down to. And when it comes to film grinding, the work of the amateur couch scout, I'm not saying what they're doing is worthless. I didn't say that. Some of you are bad listeners. You have one job to be a listener and you do it poorly. I'm having a value conversation. I don't think very few NFL players are worthless. When will you hear me say that? I question their ADPs, just like I think very few fantasy analysts are worthless. I just question how much value they're adding, and I don't understand why more people aren't questioning bad analysis when they hear it. 
This is reality radio. What took over television? Reality television. Why isn't there more reality radio? I mean, don't you want to know what I think? When you're listening to a podcast, you're listening to it because you want to hear what the host has to say based on what he's thinking. So don't you want to know what I think? I mean, if you want to continue your suspension of disbelief in things like Derrick Henry's scheme fit and a tape grinder's opinion of Corey Coleman's mental processing, then why are you listening to this show? This is not the show for you. Shuffle off and go listen to another show then. <laughs> but we do have some critics of this show, some of you buzzards, that actually do ask fair questions. Like this one. This buzzard writes in, Who the hell are you to say who's credible and who's not? Where are your NFL credentials, Fantasy Mansion? That's a fair question. If you're going to listen to someone's advice, that's the question you should be asking. And no, I don't have any credentials, and I never will. Everything I imagine about working for an NFL team gives me the creeps. What I can do to add value is synthesize statistics for public consumption. I mean, that's what I do. If you want to distill it down, what does Matt Kelly offer to the fantasy football community? That is it. I synthesize statistics for public consumption. Like, that's pretty much it. Playerprofiler.com. That's it. That's my value add. If you get something out of it, you'll bookmark it and go back and go back and keep using it. If you look at it, you peruse playerprofiler.com, you don't like what you see, you're not getting anything out of it, that's fine. You close the browser, you click back, and you move on with something else on the internet service. It's just not a big deal. What I'm doing isn't a big deal. I'm not curing diseases. This is fantasy football. This is the least important thing in our entire culture. Maslow's hierarchy of cultural needs. If we had such a thing, we would be last. And I will freely admit this. <laughs> I'm a stats guy, but I'm also a long way away from qualified to criticize a professional athlete at the top 1% of the top 1%'s style of play or mental processing. Nor are most draft nicks and fantasy football analysts. That's my point. But it's weird that that sentiment is what upsets so many of you so much. I don't even know how you disagree with that. I think I'm stating the obvious, but when I state the thing that I think is the most obvious, that's when I receive the most vehement objections from this audience. But then the criticism of me is that I'm personally attacking someone or a group of people, and I'm not. Go back and listen to the last show. There was no personal vitriol directed at any individual. You'll be hard to find anything that isn't simply factual in the last show. I've been trying to figure out what the knuckle draggers were really objecting to. What was the hot button word or phrase that I used? Like, how did I push your buttons? Because I'm trying to do that. Again, that's one of my goals is to push your buttons and get you to lash out at me on social media. I want to do that. I'm trying to push the right buttons. It's like I'm trying to tickle you, right? I'm poking you like under the rib cage, in the armpit. I'm just trying to elicit a response from you. And most of the time, nothing happens. Most of the time, you just let me poke you. But on the last show, it's like you reached around and snatched my finger and broke it off. And I think I know the button I pushed. It's when I referred to film grinders as amateur couch scouts. But that's not even a pejorative reference. That's simply so. That's simply the best way I could describe that hobbyist. Contact the show at Roto Underworld on Twitter or email us rotounderworld at gmail.com. 
What is a better, more accurate label for what those people do? For me, it was simply the most accurate description of the individual who spends double-digit hours a week reviewing old college footage. Would you prefer that I say amateur desk chair scout? Was the word couch of the problem? Because you can't be angry at me calling them amateurs because that's exactly what they are. They are amateurs. They're certainly not professionals. And on last week's show, I was not criticizing any one person's body of work. Go back and listen. My critique was actually larger than that. You're getting mad at me mentioning one person's name, but it wasn't about the one person. My criticism was much bigger. And yet you want to make it into this beef. There's no beef. My beef is much more broad, much more impactful if you want to listen to it. I am questioning the very existence of the entire couch scout industry. I'm not talking about one guy. I just don't understand the fascination with that hobby. I just don't understand it. I mean, I understand the attraction to hundreds of different hobbies. Rock collecting, even fantasy baseball. Ugh. But I just don't get the fascination with college game tape grinding and mock drafts. I find most NFL draft analysis utterly useless. I just don't get the fascination. And those are the sentiments I'm sharing with you on my podcast. That's why I started a podcast, so that I could be heard. That's why everyone down deep starts a podcast, to express themselves. And if I'm feeling something and thinking something, if I'm bewildered, to not express it would defeat the purpose of the podcast! But it's true, I just, I'm confused by this very existence of the industry. This cottage industry that is couch scout film grinding. Why would anyone want to pretend to be a real scout when being an NFL scout is an awful job? It's just weird to me. You read these articles online about the grind that is the NFL scout. Thankless. How members of the local media are more likely to listen to the things they have to say than the general manager. They get on a conference call with the general manager and they're belittled. They're following around 20-year-olds measuring their hands. Who would want to do that? It's just weird. It's weird that you would pretend to be that. That you would go to a fantasy camp to be a scout who is working in a profession that's not fun. It's just it's weird. But I don't object to anyone's hobby. You can do whatever you want in your free time. It's fine. It's fine. Anything. Renaissance fair. Go. Have fun. Dress up like Darth Vader and go to the next Star Trek premiere. That's great. I can't relate to those sensibilities. I can't empathize with those with that particular hobby, but okay. I don't object to that. I don't object to that being your hobby. What I object to is when fantasy footballers then take the observations of these amateur couch scouts and then use them as the crux of their fantasy football decisions. That's my objection. And you object to this word amateur. I know it. I can feel it. I can feel you objecting to that word amateur. And the irony is that we're talking about Derrick Henry, who was classified as an amateur last season when he rushed for over 2,000 yards at the University of Alabama. And in that season, he generated more revenue for the University of Alabama than every amateur couch scout will ever generate until the end of time. That's irony. But this amateur label, it's not subjective. It's factual. I would recommend that you look up someone's credentials before you listen to their fantasy advice. It's what anyone would do before listening to anyone's advice anywhere in society on any topic. That's why we have the internet. 
Angie's List, LinkedIn, so you can look up people's credentials before you listen to them. <laughs> this is all obvious to me. But the number of buzzard tweets and emails that the last show generated dwarfs all shows that came before it. Just me sitting back saying the obvious thing. 99% of the amateur couch scouts never worked in an NFL front office or were a member of an NFL coaching staff. They don't actually know how the best players are evaluated by the best in the industry. Again, facts. But the thing is, the couch scouts want it both ways. Because the other emails and tweets that we are getting are some version of this. Stop being so critical. This is just a hobby. We're just having fun talking about football. Well, which is it? I would agree with that. Yes, that sounds right. But you want it both ways. But again, I'm not passing judgment. This all started with my critique of what I considered wrong-headed Kenneth Dixon analysis. And if I feel like wrong-headed Kenneth Dixon analysis is being perpetuated in the fantasy football community, do you not want me to speak up next time? No, I'm going to speak up. Even if you don't want me to speak up, I will speak up. Because what I object to all the time on this show is the unfalsifiable, subjective analysis reverberating through the fantasy world. This is how Derrick Henry, who posted a 43.5% college dominator rating in the SEC at 21 years old, gets pushed outside the top three rookie running backs on certain dynasty draft lists because he's a bad scheme fit or he lacks hip fluidity. That's the reasoning. And it's nonsense. And what we've also talked about on past shows is that this kind of subjective observation sometimes gets packaged and passed off as analytics. Remember those new metrics websites that we pointed you to? The latest film grinder turn analytics expert launches a new website measuring play strength, competitive toughness, mental processing, play speed, body control, giving us the percentile ranks for all players across those categories, as if they can measure those categories with any level of accuracy whatsoever. This all happened recently. Remember, Corey Coleman was dismissed by numerous couch scouts. Why? Because of questionable effort level on plays on the other side of the field. Oh, look, there's Corey Coleman not even trying again. No hustle whatsoever. He must lack passion. Therefore, don't draft him in your fantasy league. Ignore him in dynasty rookie drafts. That was the advice. Questioning Coleman's passion for the game and his mental toughness. Just like they questioned Devin Funchess's courage at the catch point last season. Then only later is it revealed that Corey Coleman was playing with a strained groin and his coaches instructed him specifically to take it easy on certain plays. That Devin Funchess was playing for Michigan for free as an amateur on a sprained foot. These players were actually demonstrating great fortitude and tenacity at the very moment that the hack film grinder was tweeting out his daily criticisms of their toughness. That's what I object to. Then once these details come out, we don't get an oops apology. No, nothing. No, I'm sorry to the athlete or to the fantasy community who didn't draft Corey Coleman because he lacks hustle on plays that are away from him on the field. It's unbelievable. These internet couch scouts live in a fantasy world where they are as far from knowing what it's like to be a professional athlete as one could possibly be. I am too. We all are. I'm 5'10", 175. 
I run a 5.540. When a spiral is whistled at me at full speed, I will drop it almost every time because I am far, 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 far away from having the faintest idea what it's like to be a professional athlete. And yet the internet couch scout spends double digit hours a week watching these athletes and thinking they can understand what it's like to be them. And they just can't. They just can't. You can't know how much passion Corey Coleman has. You can't know how much courage Devon Funches has. You're just pretending. And that's fine. You can play pretend. You can play Renaissance Fair football guy. But we don't have to base our fantasy decisions on what you're saying. That's the point. The last thing we need is more wrong-headed sports content on top of an industry that is already soaking in nonsensical coach speak, trite phrases, and now we can add to the mix incorrect conclusions based on irrelevant or uninformed observations. Now we can move on. Move on to something we can all agree on. Carson Wentz is about to be overdrafted for all the wrong reasons. Hey, he did score well on the Wonderlick. Carson Wentz, tremendous Wonderlick score. Great job, buddy. Upper percentile Wonderlick score. If you post a 90th percentile or above Wonderlick score like Carson Wentz, you're a smart guy. But I'm not sure what your level of mental processing is like on the football field because we can't measure mental processing. Though the amateur couch scouts would disagree. How do I know that? This quarterback scored a 42 on the Wonderlick. 97th percentile. His name? Blaine Gabbert. That's right. On that Rotoballer podcast that I'm just now launching with Nathan Powell. Nathan Powell comped Carson Wentz to Blaine Gabbert. Go listen to that first show. Tremendous analysis from Nathan. Because it struck me the moment he said that. I was like, wow, that's so right. The Carson Wentz pre-draft process absolutely has a Blaine Gabbert feel to it. Even thinking back to Blaine Gabbert and Carson Wentz in the John Gruden film room. Same kind of feel, right? Supremely intelligent guys. Really impressing Gruden with their acumen. And then out on the practice field, in one-on-one drills with receivers, drills in shorts, Blaine Gabbert looks like the number one pick overall every time. Carson Wentz looks like the number one pick overall every time. Been trying to think of a Franken comp for Carson Wentz, and I think I've got it. He's Blaine Gabbert plus Blake Bortles. If you combined Blake Gabbert and Blaine Bortles, put them into a, a chamber, and their traits were meshed together, out would walk Carson Wentz. Because Carson Wentz has that size, that Blake Bortles size and mobility that the scouts just drool over. Yum, 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 yum. Can't get enough of that Carson Wentz body, right? Right? Oh, the arm strength. Woo! Arm talent. Yes. Looks the part like Blaine Gabbert. Woo! Just pretty. Like Blake Bortles, like Blaine Gabbert. Scouts like Carson Wentz for all the wrong reasons. But incidentally, back to Blaine Gabbert, I wouldn't be surprised if Blaine Gabbert is as productive as Blake Bortles this year. What? 
Say what? Blake Bortles was a QB1 in fantasy last season. Meanwhile, Blaine Gabbert posted only 17.2 fantasy points per game. That was outside the top 20. So one guy was inside the top 10. One guy was outside the top 20. How could you compare them? How could you say they could be equivalent this season? I say that because I think this will be a renaissance year for Blaine Gabbert. Because he's been through the fire. He's logged a full quarterback development cycle. He now receives a Chip Kelly-fueled volume spike. And he's getting DeAndre Smelter back and healthy. Blaine Gabbert has mobility. He has arm talent. And last season, he showed real improvement for the first time. I know his passer rating and his total QBR were outside the top 25 on playerprofiler.com. However, his production premium plus 5.5. That was top 15 in the league. That's why we have production premium. It's an alternative efficiency metric to QBR and passer rating. And it factors out field position and game flow to give you a more accurate representation of how efficient this quarterback was on equal footing with the other quarterbacks in the league. Blaine Gabbert's production premium was actually higher last season than Blake Bortles. Amazingly, Blaine Gabbert plus 5.5, Blake Bortles plus 5.3. We've talked about this before. The best place to mine value is in the bin with the damaged containers. You want the damaged brands. Those are always the best value. The players who were punchlines at one point or another in their career and then came out on the other side more resilient. That's what Blaine Gabbert is. But no one's fascinated by Blaine Gabbert's look, his gravitas any longer. They used to be. They used to talk about how much Blaine Gabbert looked the part. How Blaine Gabbert looked like the perfect quarterback. He stepped out of that chamber that we have where we just dump all the traits of the perfect quarterback or multiple quarterbacks. We just mesh them all together. Out walks Blaine Gabbert, our perfect quarterback, if we had to build one in a chamber. And then what happened? On the football field, surrounded by chaos, 11 guys colliding with 11 guys, what happened? Our robot quarterback short-circuited because of course he did. And now what are we seeing with Carson Wentz? Scouts fascinated by his look, fascinated by his gravitas, big, prototypical looking battlefield leader. Yes, Carson Wentz. Yes, combination of Blaine Gabbert and Blake Bortles together. You get Carson Wentz. Follow that man into battle. Now, I do like how quarterbacks carry themselves. I think that matters. I think leadership traits matter. Perceived leadership matters for quarterback prospects. I believe that. But you can't base an entire personnel decision on that one feature. I mean, what? But that's exactly what's happening now with Carson Wentz. He looks the part. And then that confirmation bias leads to excuse making. Oh, well, he broke his wrist last year. That's why he's been slow and getting up to speed in these drills. His pre-draft process hasn't been as good as some others, but remember, he broke his throwing wrist last year, so that's the excuse. That's the reason. Wait a second. He has a bad throwing wrist? Isn't that a red flag in and of itself? I mean, what? You're using a broken wrist as an excuse? That's supposed to make me feel better? <laughs> oh, don't worry about that. He's damaged goods. Like, what? what? Excuse me? That's like a used car salesman going, well, this car doesn't always drive straight because it was in an accident last year. Like, excuse me? But back to Blaine Gabbert. When you think about Blaine Gabbert, he's the type of guy that we like to buy. Looked apart. Had all the traits that everyone loves. And then face planted. Brand completely damaged. It's like the movie Fight Club. Take the prettiest guy and just beat the shit out of him. Face all disfigured. 
clothes ripped, blood all over him. That's the Blaine Gabbert brand. That's also the Trent Richardson brand. And on the Rotoballer podcast, my co-host Nate Powell mentioned that he believes that Trent Richardson is Javorius Allen's guardian angel. That because the Ravens have Trent Richardson on the roster, they don't believe they have a need at running back. He believes that Trent Richardson is a bigger threat to Javorius Allen's opportunity share than even Justin Forsett. I don't necessarily disagree with him. Trent Richardson lost a lot of weight, gained some strength, just like Eddie Lacy. They lost 10 pounds in the offseason. That demonstrates a newfound desire to be great. And if you're a running back in particular, being lighter and being stronger helps you. It helps you more at the running back position than any other position. That's why I'm buying Eddie Lacy in all formats. And I wouldn't mock anyone for picking up Trent Richardson right now in deeper leagues because stranger things have happened.